Greetings, everyone. This is Dr. Bill Fisher of the San Jose State University School of Library and Information Science faculty, and welcome to our colloquium presentation for today, dealing with the Lubuto Library Project. I'm happy to introduce our speaker, Jane Myers, who is the founder and president of the Lubuto Library Project. I've had the pleasure of knowing Jane for a number of years, and she's the uh, an excellent example of uh, what a dynamic individual can do in our profession to help bring information services to individuals who might otherwise not um, have that capability. Uh, Jane got her MLS degree from the University of Maryland in the late 1970s and found herself uh, in the mid-1980s over in Africa, which was her first introduction to some of the conditions in that country. Uh, she went back to Africa in the 1990s, uh, this time uh, spending uh, three years in the country of Zambia, where the Lubuto project is located, and seeing the conditions there, and beginning to work to help bring information resources to the children uh, in that country at that time. When she came back to the United States in 2001, she uh, developed the idea for the Lubuto Library Project and began to create that particular association, uh, which she will talk uh, with us about today. Jane has been recognized for her efforts by a number of organizations in uh, 2008. The American Library Association uh, profiled some of her leadership lessons under their Emerging Leaders Program. Uh, the year before, the Special Libraries Association awarded uh, Jane the Dow Jones Factiva Leadership Award. And in 2008, she received the Distinguished Alumnus of the Year Award from the University of Maryland. So uh, Jane, if you want to activate your microphone, and uh, we'll turn the presentation over to you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and I, I guess I also should deactivate the the video so you don't need to look at me. You can look at you all can look at pictures of the beautiful things that we're doing in beautiful Zambia actually, which is um I, I know the the um subject of this talk is about the role that that libraries, that really high quality professional libraries can play in international development. And that is that is the point that we I want to make here with all of you today. But in order to do that, I think I just I would like to show you first exactly what we are what we are doing. Uh, and I want to just do it by showing you an awful lot of pictures of it because because one very, very important um, tenet or important factor in international development that everybody, that all of you should sort of ask about and look about when you look at, when you hear about people involved with things related to libraries internationally is transparency. And, and basically, I think, I think everybody needs to sort of ask hard questions. We know exactly what makes good libraries here in this country. And it's it's important to understand that those very same things, those very same principles, are what makes good library services, good effective library and information services, anywhere working with human beings anywhere, and and also that that human beings anywhere have a right to and deserve our very best professional efforts. So, 
I would like to just, I, I will just introduce to you what, what we're doing and why we're doing it, and then, then go into some of the important factors about why it makes effective um, library development. But just one, one other statement in advance is that it, it really happens to be the case that the good practice of librarianship is 100% congruent with the good practice of international development. And, and so, so what we're all learning in becoming library and information professionals would put, put you in very good stead for international work if any of you would like to go into it. Um, so let me see if I can, okay. So we, uh, in the, in these, the seven years or so that I spent in Southern Africa and the countries of Malawi and Zambia, um, I did get very familiar and, and other travels there before and after and since. Um, I did get very familiar with, uh, with circumstances there and with other libraries um, and, and saw that there were, was a very important role that libraries had to play in addressing social problems, but I also saw that our colleagues in our profession in those countries really were not addressing the important social issues of, of that region. And as many of you may know, uh, southern, Central Southern Africa is the area that's been hardest hit by the HIV AIDS pandemic. And as a result of that pandemic and other, other systemic problems, um, there are large, large numbers of the young population that are in very vulnerable circumstances. And the demographics of that part of the world are that most of, most of the population is young. So um, that it's not just the HIV AIDS pandemic. And um, I think sometimes talk about that region can be oversimplified that, well, we're helping AIDS orphans. We are helping children and youth whose, whose life circumstances on a societal basis have been really made, made terrible, who have been excluded from society because, because um, of a, to a large extent, because of what the HIV AIDS pandemic has done in the environment. But we've developed a model that, that addresses more than one country and more than one situation. And so in some other countries, the, the causes may have been war or other or, or economic, severe economic deprivation. Uh, but suffice it to say, we have developed a model to address uh, this problem in countries where the traditional support systems have been overwhelmed. And this picture is showing you street children in Lusaka, Zambia, the country that had the highest, has the highest rate of orphaning um, of children ages 14 and under due to the HIV AIDS pandemic. So one in five children in the country is an orphan. And that, that, was, that was something that we really felt needed to be addressed. Um, and so in defining what the problem is, we're not defining it in terms of, well, there, there, there's literacy. There's low literacy or there's you know, it's the need for libraries. Um, I, I think you hear that kind of talk for a while. But actually, uh, you know, the problem is, is it's a flexible one. Libraries are very flexible institutions that can address a broad range of problems. And the problem itself is, is generally better defined as something we've called so societal isolation. 
um, that the children and youth, because of these various factors that have displaced them and affected their lives so negatively, what has happened is they've been disconnected from their society. They may not have adult caregivers. They 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 may not be in school. They use uh, they often are not in school, if or they they are simply not connected the way children and youth in a healthy society need to be connected. And so, again, this pr the problem that the Labuto Library Project is addressing is what we call societal isolation. And this, this picture is showing you a different, an entirely different kind of situation than Zambia. Uh, children in Rwanda who are orphans of the genocide, um, who, are, who have places to live and who are even able to attend school, but this is a group of children who are living together in a group home, none of whom whose parents survived the genocide, and they are also in many ways very isolated, and there is quite a bit that a library can do to help their circumstances. Um, and, and the other thing is in countries in, in Africa, in Sub-Saharan Africa in particular, they are not terribly wealthy. Uh, I don't know if there are many countries left in the world right now that are terribly wealthy in terms of the social safety net they can offer, but in the case of, of sub-Saharan African countries, many of them, they're just, they're really just, they, they simply can't cope with one in ch five children, an orphan, and, and just not enough schools, not enough teachers. Um, the, the social safety net just has way too big holes in it. and. And, and children are falling through. And Zambia happens to be where we're starting the Lobuto project, but it certainly isn't the extent of our vision. Um, there happen to be a lot of, ch it happens to be a very urbanized country, and so there are a lot of street children. And this picture shows you sort of typically a, a, a street child. Children should not be asleep on the streets in the middle of the day. So the, the problems are pretty obvious to anyone who goes to, to Zambia or other countries in that situation. Um, one, of course, the main way that development agencies, USAID, uh, the World Bank, other organizations, multilateral and bilateral uh, aid agencies that are trying to address the, the needs of these children and particularly focused on education because that is an important focus for young children. There is health and, and uh, you know, housing and shelter. And those, those problems are relatively easy to address. Um, education is a more complicated one. And the only solutions that agencies have really come up with is building more schools and training more teachers. And while those things are very important, they do not solve the problem. And, and one reason that is, uh, because children, for example, in Zambia are out of school in the hundreds and hundreds of thousands. And it, has, it is not just because of school fees. There are many, many reasons why children cannot attend school. Um, and, and so, and the problem with the formal education system is it's a closed system. You're either in school or you're out of school. So children like this young girl here who is caring for a younger sibling who is the head of a child-headed household, uh, that girl could not attend school. Some, some people who, who would like to, certainly all young children would like the opportunity to learn and to connect with opportunities to learn and grow, uh, but who cannot attend school every day. Uh, because of the being 
you have to either be enrolled, you have to be able to attend regularly. And again, that's one of the limitations of formal schooling that libraries can address. Um, another th another um, phenomenon that is really common right now at a time when the United Nations, where, where countries all over the world have signed on to um, United Nations uh, Millennium Development Goals, one of, one of the ten Millennium Development Goals is to provide universal primary education. And a lot of countries in Africa are nearing that goal. Zambia isn't, isn't one of them, but it, it, it has attained the goal. I believe Kenya actually has. Um, but what, what now all of the development planners have found is although um, in, in a country like Kenya, everyone is enrolled in school, in basic school. Uh, the classes are huge, and the educational quality has gone way down. But the the other problem is in 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 a country like Kenya or a country like um, Zambia, where there still is not by any means universal enrollment in primary school. After primary school, most children cannot attend high school. So after basic school, you've got lots and lots and lots, a very high percentage of teenagers who, who have no opportunity, no jobs, and no opportunity to go further in education. And that, on a society, if not, certainly on a humanitarian basis, that's a disaster. But it's also a disaster for a society, and therefore a disaster for the whole world. Um, one other issue that you hear a lot about is educating girls. And again, very uh, the, to, to a large extent, the, the answer that organizations have come up with is to provide scholarships to girls. And what that, ha what that has resulted in, in many situations, and sometimes very dramatically bad illustrations of those situations, is that, that there's a great deal of resentment because girls now occupy educational spaces that and boys cannot or boys don't have access to scholarships and again when you know you can you can probably pretty much imagine what what can happen in a society with a lot of people without resources or, or ways or opportunities and seeing others get opportunities that they can't have so the Lobuto Library Project, we're, we're pretty ambitious. We think that libraries are a very, very powerful institution that can address all of these, all of these issues that I've just uh, described in ways that are unique, that they're a unique kind of institution unlike any others, and certainly different than formal education systems. And we can we not only play a role in education, but we actually can provide children and youth who are isolated from society with a way to reconnect on many different levels. Um, and 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 the very basic level is is existing as an institution in society where there is no other place for children who are out of school to go. I mean, if you, you again, if you're either in or out of school, there are clinics, there are, you know, there aren't many places to be. And Labuto libraries exist in society as the one door that's open to children and youth to whom every other door is closed. And having worked with the street children in Lusaka for a number of years, I can tell you there is no door open. They are not welcome in public places, public institutions. They, they up until recent changes, they, they, they have not been welcome even in the public libraries that have existed 
whatever their quality is. There, there is, there's, was really no place to go. So the objectives of our organization may may seem unusual and seem ambitious for what you might be used to a library's objectives to be, or maybe not. I hope I actually I hope not. Um, but. Our objectives are to ensure access to high-quality educational services, to support holistic development and empowerment of children and youth, and to build capacity among communi communities and educators to be able to, to continue and achieve those first two objectives. And by build capacity, that, that's a term used in development a lot, basically referring to, to training. To, to build um, personnel capacity. And so how we do this, our approach is so that we have a six-step approach where we identify target communities and hosts. Uh, our libraries are hosted by community-based organizations that are offering other services to children and youth. Um, and I'll have more detail about that later. Um, we build buildings, we build facilities, that, and, and it's very important to us that those buildings reflect indigenous culture so that, that everything we do on every level is something that is relevant to the culture and, and actually adding a, a, a valuable thing to society by having these, these libra libraries that is the buildings themselves actually preserve culture. Um, and yes, of course, we provide great book collections and other resources, all of the kinds of resources that libraries sort of traditionally supply, including, of course, computers. Um, then we establish targeted programming and effective outreach, and then training, that capacity building I was referring to earlier. So I am going to, so the, we have two libraries up and running so far. We're a small organization that was just started in 2005. And the built library on the top was our first one that was largely built by a lot of, funded by a lot of donations by, by members of our profession. I think we figured out that three quarters of our funding in that, at that time came from members of the Special Libraries Association, actually. Um, so it, it was all of our profession that got behind us and, and helped create that first library. And once the first library was up and running, people in the society in Zambia could see what this was about. And, and we got more and more support. And the second library on the bottom was built by Dow Jones and Company. Again, again, really thanks to our support from the Special Libraries Association. But you can see they're very beautiful buildings. And the, the, uh, a library is comprised of three different buildings, which is, reflects how people live in villages in, in that part of the world. People don't live in one house. They may have a place where the children sleep and, and a place where the parents sleep and, and several buildings that comprise a home. And that's why those, that same design informs our libraries. So the, the main building, the big building, um, the largest building is called the reading room, and that's what houses the book collection. As you can see here, it's, uh, the collection is stored around the perimeter of the library, and, and, the, and the way it's stored p p um, creates little reading alcoves, too, so they're little sort of private areas for reading. But then in the, ce the center is open, and it has what we call the talking circle which is something, again, people have been really responsive to. It reminds people of how, how 
the owl, people traditionally live in villages where you sit around the fire at the end literally of every evening and tell stories and communicate and act and where culture is transmitted. So that's, that's, exactly, that's exactly what these libraries are about too. So the talking circle is a really important feature of the libraries. Then we, the second largest building is what we call the Arts and Activities Building, and that's where a lot of our other programs are carried out. Anything that needs to be done at a table or a desk is done in, in that building. So any writing, uh, use of computers, or arts activities are in, in that building. And um, there you, in the last slide, you saw people doing art. And here, are, this is in our second library, children using the, one, uh, the computers in our libraries, in, in the Arts and Activities building. And then the third building is, is, an is based on a traditional building in a village in that part of Africa known as an insaka. And if you, if you ride around in the bush in Africa, you'll see, you'll go to village to village and you'll see the insaka in the center of the, building, of the village. And it's always sort of around, in Zambia, it's a round building like this that's open and it's where people gather. It's where every important decision is made. And so this is a gathering place before you go into the other buildings. We have at this place a, a, a sink for children to wash their hands before going into the library. Um, but, but also, we, this is used a lot for some of our programs, in particular the drama program. Um, so again, that's the entrance in Saka at the, at the other library. Our second library is hosted by a, a government school, and I'll, I'll get into a little more about how we decide who hosts them, but it has a lot to do with the fa fact of our, our working now very closely with the government, with the Ministry of Education. But you'll notice that the, the children at this library are wearing school uniforms. The libraries are public libraries. They are open to the public. And in our agreement with any host organization, they have to agree that it is open to the public. However, this library is hosted by a school, but again, open, open to the public. And so coming to the agreement with the government of Zambia and with uh, the local the people at the school that's hosting this um, took us some time to because for, for people to be open to the fact that 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 school children and street children will be coming together in an environment like this. It's actually a fairly dramatic social change would be in this country as well, uh, and certainly would be for teachers in this country. Um, but it, but it, it, it's sort of following the government's desire, the Ministry of Education's desire, to make education accessible to all. So we, we really have worked very hard to make, make our plans um, it, to be in support of the policies and plans and the goals and objectives of the Ministry of Education of Zambia. So somebody out there is a friend of Denise Augusto who said hello earlier um, from Drexel University. And um, she's been sort of following our, our project from the very beginning and has written a couple of articles about about what we are doing and how it fits in with her research on, on how public libraries are used in the United States. But she recently made a statement in sort of looking at the data on use of our libraries and, and what they're doing and why they are turning out to be so popular and so effective. Um, and she said basically the, the, in terms of at least public libraries, but I, I guess probably all libraries, what makes a successful library is having a great collection, having relevant educational and cultural programming, and effective outreach. 
based on the very specific needs of our of the community we serve and and how Lubuto um, is is doing how, how we've managed to be pretty effective on all three of those levels. Um, so the first the first part of that is that we do you do have to have a very good collection and again you hear of a lot of you hear a lot of relief efforts maybe for a place like Haiti you hear a lot of organizations that will send off books to places and call that library development but um, actually just sending quantities of books to a place uh, that 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 doesn't build a collection, and we all know what a library collection is. And really, what a library needs is a good, comprehensive, carefully built collection that covers all of the areas of which people using the libraries that what, what where they need information. And that's what we do. We build a 4,000 volume collection, uh, initial collection here in Washington D.C. where we're building our our libraries and and it and we have a special classification system that we've developed and a collection is complete once we have a, a, you know we we go through and if there are weaknesses in certain areas we fill in and we 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 select and and collect relevant materials that go across cultures well and build a complete collection once it's sent to Zambia and sent to the library, there we add any local language materials that exist. And we also have other efforts that I'll mention later to create more local language materials, but, but those are added in country. Um, but also of the, the, the collections that we build here and in Zambia as well, what we add in Zambia, we, also, we like librarians everywhere, are connecting with the, the good writers and illustrators of of these books, and so um, this is a small subset. We have lots and lots, dozens and dozens and dozens of books where the authors and illustrators know about us and have written inscriptions to the children in Mobuto libraries. Um, and we think it's very nice for a child there to to know that people that someone. Who, uh, one of the people on here is the great African writer Ngugi Wathiango, and he knows about Lubuto libraries and the children in them, and we want to make sure they know that. Um, <coughs> but also, the, the, the second facet that Denise mentioned is programming, and programming has been Programming has been what has made our libraries effective, uh, particularly when you're trying to serve the most vulnerable children and youth. I mean, many of the people we are serving do not read, or they just they suffer tremendously from low self-esteem. Or they've they've had many of these kids have had lives that are unimaginably difficult. Many of them have watched their parents grow sick and die of HIV AIDS. Many have been on their own and had to live and survive in a very tough life on the streets. And and you, you, if you said, you know, why don't we go to the library to someone like that, that, that would not be something that wouldn't necessarily make any sense or that anyone would feel it's a... It, um, would have something for them. So but what we have found is that our various programs that have grown in response to our understanding of these children and also because Zambian professionals have sort of stepped forward once they saw this library and saw that it's there to serve the children that they, they found hard to reach before, they often came forward and said, I, I'd like to develop a program in the arts or in drama 
or in mentoring. And so uh, these programs are all unique and all original and um, and particularly a response of Zambian society to its children with the library as a catalyst. So we're very, very proud of them. And, and um, I'll just show you quickly what some of, some of the programs are. Uh, one, it, it, we, what we call a lot of the sort of reading that happens daily in our library that, that, is, that is very normal is certainly what happens in, in libraries for children in this country is we call it Lubuto story time. There is a there are read alouds that happen in the library every day, um, and and again m many children do not do not speak English or are trying to learn English or and many children do not read. So reading to them, as we know in this country, is one thing one step toward you know bringing them toward literacy and of course well we are we, there's nobody out there that questions the importance of reading to children uh, we also have, we have wordless books in the libraries that of course can be already quote unquote read in in the seven zambian languages and we also have Zamb some zambian language materials um, english is the official language of zambia so children also need to learn english as well so so story time uh, reading aloud happens in 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 both vernacular languages and in English. Um, also, storytelling is a traditional way that stories are passed down in that culture. And, and we encourage people in the surrounding community uh, to come in and tell stories to people, to children. Um, it's, it's a great way to connect. And it is exactly how how education and values and religion and all sorts of aspects of uh, every aspect of the various cultures of Zambia were transmitted through the century. So we don't want to say that that stories written in and published in books, formally in books, are, the, are, are any better or worse. They're certainly, certainly not any better than Zambia's lo local stories. and. Um, and so the storytelling is a very important thing. So you just can see books that you recognize from here that children also love in Zambia. And we have various volunteers that have gone uh, to Zambia working with our libraries. So you see some Westerners as well as, as the Zambians that work in our libraries reading to children. Um, now, the, the Lubuto Mentoring Program is a very innovative one that was designed by a Zambian sociologist. And um, it, 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 takes, it takes, again, it's based on Zambian stories. Uh, it's a 13-week program that uh, takes traditional stories and traditional ways um, that children learn values. Learn values like honesty, perseverance, the very things that give a young child and a young adult uh, an understanding. It gives them the self-confidence to speak in front of others, to go forward in the world, to think that they could pursue an education, that they have value, that they're cared for. And it, it's it's been a wonderful program. It has literally gotten uh, uh, children off the streets. I think I can use a pencil thing here. To, oh, I was going to try to circle the fellow on the right. Um, I forget how to do that. But anyway, <laughs> um, that's Dr. Lawrence Makuka who designed the Motivational Mentoring Program. It has been wildly 
popular and and we are net right at this moment seeking funding to to develop it further in into a way we we have trained some other people to offer the program um, but we we need to expand that as we expand our libraries and so we are we are coming up with ways to to um, to come up with materials that can be used by other motivational mentoring uh, facilitators in our libraries throughout the country. Um, we are using the One Laptop Per Child laptops, which are you may have heard of. They used to be known as $100 laptops. We find them really incredible. Actually, I love this picture with a picture of the Labuto Library on the screen that one of the very bright kids that come to use our library figured out how to do. I don't know how to do it. Um, and the, the, the laptops are, the, if you know anything about them, they're, they're, they come loaded with a lot of educational software. It's all very icon-based. So actually, a lot of kids here, when they pick these laptops up, or adults, I, I've given them to a lot of library colleagues, and they say, well, I don't find this very intuitive at all. But that's just because we have been trained to know how to approach you know, micro Windows or uh, Apple computers, but the, these these are based on it's a Linux-based system that the programming is designed with, and it and and we introduced them in February 2009 to a group of uh, street kids who were literally just off the street who had come into this center, and at the end of two weeks, everyone was using them. They had found programming software, and they they were able to do everything in a and the program was running, people were trained to oversee it, and, and the laptops are very durable. One great advantage where we are is that they can communicate with each other where there's no internet access using something they call mesh technology. These were designed by the Media Lab at MIT, and that, that's a really cool feature. If you want to know more about them later, we can talk about it. But Labuto Literacy, this, this is our real killer program, actually. Um, after we were using the the uh, laptops for some time, and we saw that there were some children who were able, who had figured out how to use eToys, which is an application for creating, it's kind of a gaming application on the, on the OLPC laptops, EXO laptops. And and so we we knew that there, that these could that that some of the youth that use our libraries were capable of of doing a lot more with these with these laptops and then in knowing well the problem that has existed forever of children needing to learn to read in their first language uh but in Africa with the multiplicity of languages that becomes a very difficult thing. And so just to give the example of Zambia, uh, since their independence, or since they started having you know, public schools, actually uh, reading was taught in English, because English is the official language. But children were coming to school never having, not speaking English at home and having to learn to read in what was essentially their second language. And I think you probably all know that, that that's, that's really a creates a terrible handicap for children. And so there was an opportunity for a grant from a group called Eiffel that had received a grant from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation to give grants to organizations for innovative uses of information technology in public libraries. And we were one of the very happy grant recipients. And what we did under that grant is in partnership with the Ministry of Education, we engaged Zambian teachers 
so we found some that were able to identify some very good reading experienced reading teachers and some of the kids that used our libraries and used the laptops and create using the government curriculum following the government curriculum create programs for teaching reading in the seven Zambian languages. They created 100 programs in each language, and so it's a 700 reading lessons, uh, starting with uh, phoneme recognition. Uh, this Bemba letter board, if you click on a letter, you'll hear a recording of how it sounds. And you'll see the, the Bemba alphabet is different. There's, uh, there's no R, for example. And there is this, in the second row, uh, the second from the left, there's this uh, um, a letter that is pronounced nya, and it's often written in a Western alphabet as N apostrophe G, as in Nunu Wapiongo, who, who we referred to earlier, that author. But um, anyway, this doesn't exist around Africa, and Zambia only is lucky to only have seven local languages, and none of those languages are spoken, for example, in South Africa, where there has been a lot of mother tongue education going on. So when you consider something like 53 countries around Africa, all filled with multiplicities of languages, actually Zambia has something like 70-some languages, but the government in the 1980s identified seven major language groups that everyone in the, fa in the country could could understand. And so they created a printed curriculum, and they started teaching in schools, teaching reading in those languages. but as we've known, there are so many children left out of schools. And also getting the printed books into all the schools is a problem. So our libraries, in partnership with the government, created, created these um, 700 lessons. And children are using them now in the libraries. We have one other step that has to happen, and that is we, add, we have sound instructions that go with all of them. Because right now, when children come to the libraries, someone helps them know how to use each of these lessons. Because if you can't read, you can't read printed instructions. So we've recorded, in the, we've recorded 700, um, 100 in each of the seven languages instructions for doing these lessons. And we have to add the sound files and a Creative Commons license to each of these lessons. And then we're going to put them up on the uh, LobutoCollections.org on a website. And they can be copied anywhere, including neighboring Congo, which has something like 120 languages. So we think this is a first, this is a start, and it's a gift to all of Africa. But we, we certainly, it's something to be shared and improved upon. Um, the, the, the sound. Uh, right now, we're working out the protocols, but we're getting members of the Special Libraries Association in Washington, D.C., actually, uh, who volunteered last night. I went to a volunteer thing, and we got a lot of people signed up to add these sound files. So that'll be happening in the next couple months, and I'm really happy that my colleagues in SLA will be able to contribute to that. Uh, I'll try to go faster through the rest of our programs. We have an art program that is fantastic, uh, run by Zambian art teachers who come in and work with our children, and they basically, some of them have become professional artists. Um, they have had exhibitions in Zambia. And this summer, during the American Library Association conference in New Orleans, they exhibited at the Stella Jones Gallery in, in New Orleans, Louisiana. And we had a special opening for members of the, who were at the ALA conference. Um, and it was wonderful. It was really, really embraced by the people in New Orleans. Um, and, and it just showed what children can do uh, when you give them opportunities. There are lots of kids who come to our libraries who 
for whom communicating in words just really isn't isn't the best way, but who are magnificent in expressing themselves in art. So a library, again, can give people flexible opportunities, including some of them have learned computer graphics and, and added graphics to those Labuto literacy lessons, by the way. Um, and so these particular paintings I put in here are a couple of different artists that tend to like to do things about the, the, the painting on the right by a guy named David who always has a little reference to Labuto. And, um, there's a little Labuto cooking oil. There's a Labuto t-shirt that the guy coming out the door has. The bottom left was uh, one of the one of our kids' rendition of what of the Labuto Library Village, of the kind of village atmosphere that grows around our libraries. So. The drama is another thing, another traditional way for people to communicate, uh, and it's another thing that sort of grew very organically and naturally in our libraries uh, in partnership with a group called Bare Feet that had been working with street children with drama. And once our libraries were there, they said these are perfect places, perfect platforms for, for working with the children. We have lots of really good books in our libraries. And, and, and the children come in and are guided through this process of, of reading a book and adapting it into a drama. Uh, the one on this slide was actually performed at the opening of our first library. That's the book Caps for Sale. I hope everybody knows. Um, and the kids not only acted out the the roles in the in the in the in the book, but also became the tree and everything else. It was really magnificent. And they've been asked to perform it at other places around around the country. But they also developed dramas. This was one that was based on a on a, a story out of Zambia's history. Um, and and a lot of children, again, who would not come to these libraries otherwise, they really, really love uh, to participate in this drama program. And we've got lots of films of some recent uh, work in the drama program that we're going to be trying to put up as vodcasts on, on our website. So we're, we're developing a new website, and there'll be lots more you know, sort of film that will show you how a lot of this works. This, this was performing. Uh, a play based on, I think it was the story of Muhammad Ali and a, a little a, a picture book biography that we had in the library. Um, and, and everyone enjoys them. We also have, we're developing an early childhood, uh, formalizing the early childhood education that obviously happens all the time in our library with read aloud, etc., cetera, uh, called Labuto Little Ones. But, and, and how we approach all of our programming is looking at traditional, again, preserving traditional ways where this kind of learning happens. So uh, the traditional finger plays and rhymes and songs and dances that children used, with it, which is how a lot of that early childhood development happened traditionally in Zambia, uh, will be a part of this early childhood program, Labuto Little Ones. We have a number of other people. One of our partners is developing a health and HIV AIDS prevention program. And we, we, are, we have an informal counseling program that grew out of the mentoring program that's going to be formalized, too, and a number of other things. And again, the flexibility of a library. We can have some programs in some libraries. It can just respond to community needs. And community members can come to us and say, here's something I can offer. Um, so dance programs, things like that. Um, 
you can't really do that with a school that has to have a standard curriculum. But that's, that's again, the value, the incredibly powerful value of a library. The, the last thing that Denise Augusto had pointed out was that effective outreach is also important. And particularly when we are trying to reach children who wouldn't feel comfortable necessarily even going around children from intact families to school children, just wouldn't, wouldn't think that there's any institution there for them. We literally have to go out and as, uh, as Kenny Howe here in this picture is doing, and take them by the hand and tell them that there is a place called Labuto. Probably not ever even use the word library. There's a place called Labuto that is there for them and come and, and find what's there for them, help us make it into what they need. And that, that's, that's really what drives our libraries. The, the people who do this outreach for us are former street children themselves, who, who literally go out into the streets you know, several days a week and, and have developed relationships and, and are trusted by these children. And trust, of course, is a big, important thing. Um, one thing I'll just throw in with that is that the government of Zambia, unfortunately, but I, I think they're not uncommon in this, has had policies of just trying to sort of clean up. The street kids are a problem. And so, you know, they'll often go to places where street kids are, um, or some shelters, and they'll they'll gather them up. They'll put they've put them into the national service, which is sort of like the national guard. Um, they've they've moved them to places outside Lusaka. They just they're, they're kind of an eyesore, and they just want them sort of pushed away. So, naturally, children like this don't have much trust for institutions, and so overcoming that fear that fear. <laughs> that, that coming into some kind of place is going to lead them to trouble. Um, there are some children that come and use our libraries that don't don't want to come off the streets for various reasons, and they, you know, we respect their their right to that certainly, and 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 it's it's just fundamental that we respect their their rights, and particularly in an environment where we often have to advocate for them. Um, we do a lot beyond our library walls, uh, and and one of the things that libraries do everywhere is preserve preserve cultures, create uh, digital repositories of, doc, of 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 materials, and we find in order to serve the most vulnerable children in Africa, we have to do the same thing, and and so we for some time back, you know, we learned uh, from the woman in this picture. Um, in the beautiful Lotsi dress. Uh, she's the founding member of our advisory board, Malenga Kapwepwe, and the chairman of the National Arts Council of Zambia. And she told us about books that used to be in print in Zambian languages for young people, really excellent books that, that were all over the country. There used to be little tiny community libraries all over the country that had these books in local languages. And at the time of independence, as a political decision, really, to try to play down the different ethnicities, the, the different sort of people that were coming, needed to come together in one country, one independent country after the colonial period, these libraries were closed down. Literally, books were burned. Um, and they were dispersed, and you cannot find these books in Zambia. But we found about 35 of them in the hidden away, uncatalogued in the pamphlet files of the Africa and Middle East Reading Room at the Library of Congress. And our volunteers there have scanned them, and they are now on a website called LabutoCollections.org, where we'll also put our literacy lessons. Um, and we have a couple of volunteers at Drexel University's iSchool who are working on, on making that, that uh, website 
more more accessible and is sort of e easier to use before we put up the the literacy lessons but but already there are people around Zambia who are accessing it and, and learning about it and so people have contacted me from various provinces telling me about their collection of these books that they'd like to contribute to this. So it's just a question, you know, you start something like this, you begin an archive, and then it can grow. We'll go, we'll go out to Africana libraries all around the world, because I believe a lot of these, we've heard a lot of these are in the UK, preserved there, but also, again, different places around the country. And so it's the beginning. And, and now we can work with the government, work with the, there's an educational printing company that's being sort of revived. And the government really owns the intellectual property. These are mostly in the public domain, but some of these materials can come back into print. Um, so that's an exciting thing, too. And we also, we've had a workshop. Um, uh, we established something called the Zambian Board on Books for Young People to try to encourage writers and publishers and people concerned about having materials for children in local languages and, and preserving the local languages and stories uh, come together in this group um, to, to, to try to, to make that happen. And so the first activity that happened um, with Zibi, the Zambian Board on Books for Young People, is we, sponsored a, we got sponsorship from the US Board on Books for Young People. Uh, to have a workshop on creating class books. And so we had workshops in Lusaka, and then this is in a rural community in the southern province where one of our next libraries will be. And and people remembered stories from, from their childhood and created these little class books. And the point is sort of saying that, you know, this this you don't have to just say forever, well, we don't have a reading culture, we don't, books are too expensive, or there aren't books in local languages because publishers, you know, that's, that's too expensive too. There are things that can be done on all kinds of levels, and certainly on individual levels, these little cloth books can be made. And, um, and, 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 and the participants got very excited to think that they, they could just do something like that on that level. Um, and so one other thing that is extending beyond the walls of our libraries is this Lubuto Literacy pro project with the 700 lessons. And we're going to have these little posters all around the country, Puzulani, Wulenga, Kuma Lubuto Libraries, learn how to read in Lubuto Libraries. And, and, but but the, these programs can run on any platform, not just the OLPCs. So they, they can be in classrooms. Uh, when we presented this to the Ministry of Education, they were very excited about how this could be used in all environments around the country. So that, that, that particular innovation was what really made the Ministry of Education say, wow, you know, we, we always considered Lubuto libraries as a way to provide access, to provide access to children who are out of school. But what this is doing is actually improving the quality of education as well in this country. And, and what the literal statement that was said to us by the permanent secretary is that they just had no idea that libraries could innovate like this. So I guess that brings us to this whole point of you know what public libraries, the role that they can play in international development. It was really with this particular innovation and with our work with the with um, the local, with our colleagues in that country, that that it's brought us to this point where now a country is saying that that this this you are really contributing. Libraries can contribute to development. Um, 
but access, access is an important, it's not unimportant at all. Obviously, as we've said, the open door, the open nature of access is something that, 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 that is, is why we have to exist, is why the country has to invest in libraries. And as we know, investing in public libraries in this country is something that is desperately, is, is something that is, is waning, unfortunately, in, in a lot of environments. Um, and so I, I, I think, you know, sort of showing the important role public libraries can play anywhere in the world helps all of us everywhere. But I also, in talking about this in various places where people do a lot of educational planning, I actually tell a story about um, something that, from my own personal experience that happened with public libraries in this country to remind people of the, how, what an essential role they play in, in our environment. And I'll just tell you that story quickly. Uh, my mother, who was born in 1912 in South Philadelphia, um, grew up in a very poor sort of Irish American family there in South Philadelphia. And when she, and of course, public education was free, and she was able to go to high school. But after high school, she had no chance whatsoever of going to college, uh, getting out of high school around the beginning of the Great Depression, and and so she she got a job somewhere in Philadelphia. But it, Philadelphia is also the home of the Philadelphia Free Library. The, the great sort of first public library, um, the invention of the public library by a guy named Benjamin Franklin. And uh, it was a great, great library. And I know lots of people who grew, grew up in Philadelphia who, who, for whom that, that library was an important, played an important role in their life. And so my mother, among others, went to the Philadelphia Free Library and, and used it as an opportunity to continue to, to learn and, and grow a after she was no longer able to attend school. But one day in the mid-1930s, again during the Great Depression, uh, a woman physician went into the Philadelphia Free Library and said to the librarian she wanted to send another woman through college and medical school, and did the librarian have any ideas of anyone? And the librarian said, well, Mary Seaman here, who is my mother, um, Mary Seaman here wants to, er, is in here all the time and is very bright, and my mom, actually wanted to be a librarian. She was not sort of inclined to the sciences, but her opportunity to go to college included college and medical school. And yes, my mother got a scholarship to college and medical school, thanks to the Philadelphia Free Library, which it wouldn't have happened if that library hadn't existed and the librarian hadn't connected her with this opportunity. And, all f and she met my father in medical school, and all five children in our family grew up thinking that if it weren't for public libraries, we wouldn't have existed, certainly. Um, but so, and, and, and that is one story. There are many, many powerful stories about what public libraries can do. But, but I have to say that that is also what drives you know, the idea behind the Labuto Project, that giving access, that there are lots and lots of talented kids out there, and I, and we can I could name many of them, many children and, and adults, even you know, some of the teachers involved with using our libraries, whose lives really have been changed by Labuto libraries. Um, we can, getting back to some of the problems we addressed, libraries are a way to educate girls without depriving boys, girls and boys together can come and learn in our libraries. You don't have to give one a scholarship. What we've found in particular for, for, young, for young teenagers is there are lots and lots of 
young teenage mothers, girls who had babies maybe when they were 13 or 14 years old. They cannot attend school, but they, they on their own, they've come to us and they said, can we come and read and learn in the library? And so uh, there's a very, very important role we're playing in society for those, for those girls. Uh, also girls who have to take care of younger siblings who are head of childhood households. They can come and learn in our libraries. The other thing that seems so obvious, but I have to tell you, if you listen to people planning education and sort of behind these sort of massive dumping of books to third world countries, um, the idea that you can, you, or, or thinking about what should we do about computers, uh, you know, the name of those computers that I mentioned is the one laptop per child. Well, there's no way a country like Zambia could it doesn't fit culturally, it certainly doesn't fit economically to think of there being one laptop for every child in the country, but in libraries you can share technology, you can share computers, you can share books. So you could send 4,000 books to a country and give one book to every child, which is something that often happens, or you could send a collection of 4,000 books and every child that walks into that library shares it. Again, this is probably so obvious to everyone, but it is not, has not necessarily been obvious in development planning. So it's an important point we librarians have to make. Um, again, it's, a, it's, it's an opportunity to provide non-formal education to out-of-school children, childheads of mothers, of households, teen mothers. And all of these, all of these problems of society are things that development agencies that people have been trying to address for a long time, and they have just totally overlooked the institution of the public library. Early childhood education is a really big thing now. The U.S. Agency for International Development is very interested in investing in early childhood education, and their approach is, well, let's start um, Let's start schools for young children. How do we do that? Well, early childhood education happens every day in our libraries. And as I mentioned earlier, we can formalize it into a, a formal program. A young mother could bring their toddler to go off to, to hear a story time, to participate in a program while they went and, and learned to read, perhaps, using our Labuto literacy program. So the openness is you just, I, I can't overestimate how unique that is in societies like African societies. We also can improve teaching quality. I mean, we, our second library that's housed in the school um, is helping teachers know how to teach better. You, teachers in general do not read aloud to children and, and are not familiar with good literature for children. Um, we have, a, this is a, a, the person that's depicted here with her back to us is a Fulbright professor who was in Zambia. Uh, we've worked with the University of Zambia School of Library Studies to have a Fulbright scholar come to teach children's literature and children's librarianship um, to people who are training to be teacher librarians uh, but, but no training whatsoever in library services to children. So we're building that capacity in that way. We hope to have more Fulbrights come in the future um, to, to carry that forward. But also, I mean, Mary Wagner, this, this professor, has taken, for example, people who are training to be science teachers to, to our library to see how to use resources in the library for teaching science. So it's, it's not just, it's not just uh, literacy or reading aloud to young children that these, these libraries can support in terms of improving teacher quality. Um, Obviously, a big 
thing we have to do for sustainability for these libraries is to build capacity, so training. So we do have this training happening at the University of Zambia. Uh, the Fulbright professor also created a curriculum for, there's a teacher's college called Evelyn Hone College that te trains teacher librarians and she helped them develop a better curriculum for, for equipping those, 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 um, those people to work in Lobuto libraries to offer services to children. Uh, the, we we have library assistants who come and are trained to work in in the libraries, and 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 the libraries are also training sites for library students. Um, in the bo the bottom left picture is is a person who is teaching um, a collection development at the library studies program who brought her class to when we built the first library there was an old library sort of in a shipping container an old collection of materials that I had left there from the years that I had been there a number of years before and they needed to go through them and select what would be added to the new collection so her class did that as a as a class project but uh, that that program continues to bring t uh, people to train in our libraries because again that the, these kinds of library services to children just didn't don't didn't exist. So um, again, another advantage of uh, that I've mentioned earlier that that these publicly accessible libraries can do is to bring vulnerable children and school children together without stigma. That is is really kind of a revolutionary thing that's happening before our eyes, and it's really wonderful to be able to facilitate that. Um, one other thing, I mean, all libraries sort of measure what they do in order to to know if they're reaching reaching the people that they want to reach, how, what they need to do to to improve that, and to measure their impact they're having. Uh, measuring impact is a very essential factor in international development projects too. You and and in order to get people to invest in a model like ours, in the Lobuto Library model, we need to try to measure whether or not we're meeting our objectives. And so we have ways that we do that now. Um, we, we need to know it in order to know how we need to adjust our collection development policy, how, what books are being used, etc. So we have various ways that we collect data. Uh, but particularly, you know, how many out-of-school children are we reaching? Where are they coming from? What is this? doing in their lives. It, it, it's, a, it's very difficult to do a really thorough evalu impact evaluation of that because you, it's hard to get baseline information with children at large, children who are street children. You could get baseline reading levels, maybe that, that sort of thing, but, but measuring improvements in self-esteem, some of that has to be done through qualitative indicators as well. Through, through interviews and that sort of thing. Right now, there's a foundation called the Open Society Institute. Uh, it's an organization started by George Soros that many of you may have heard of. And they have a Southern African office, and we are working with them. It appears that in the coming uh, year or so, they are interested in helping fund a really thorough evaluation of our model and how it's working to, to help us scale up to bring more libraries around Zambia and also to other countries. So, so this monitoring and evaluation is a really essential um, factor and, and, and we will need more support to be able to do a more thorough 
uh, evaluation. But for now, we keep data in a very simple way. Uh, books do not circulate from the library, so we don't have circulation statistics. Um, but we've come up with a way where children come in and they sign in and they either write their name or their initials if they don't can't write their name or they could write a little picture. Uh, if they leave and come back in the same day, they circle it so we can get. And if they've co they're coming for the first time, they put their symbol or their name in one place. If they've been to the library in the past, they sign in in another place so that we can gather data through time on how many how many visits there were to the library, but how many different users there were, how many people are using the library more than once in a day, et cetera, because we, we can't do that in any other kind of automated way. It's, it's a simple system, but it works pretty well. Uh, we also disaggregate the data with boys and girls. And then we keep data on, on disaggregated again by gender for participation in our various programs. And, and so we have data that shows us that, that children who come, who otherwise weren't coming to use the library, who come to participate in other programs like drama or using the laptops, then will go use the library collection as well. So and that's been an important thing for us to learn for particularly serving the out-of-school children who wouldn't necessarily come just for the collection. Sustainability is another important development concern. It's an important concern. I mean, a library is a significant investment. If you're going to invest in something like that, particularly in an environment where resources are scarce, it needs to be sustainable. So we have certain factors in our model that we think contribute to sustainability. One of them is the participation of the community. The community owns these libraries. The, com the local community owns and runs the libraries, participates in them. Um, they, we feel that these libraries are a cost-effective complement to the formal education programs because of the range of, of services, uh, educational services and other kinds of services that they offer uh, that schools cannot, um, and the number of children that we can serve so that makes it cost effective. Also, the, the buildings are, are they're green buildings, and, and that they preserve culture actually has made them really, really highly valued in society. And that, I think, also contributes to their sustainability. People may come to them, and for example, officials from UNICEF in Zambia recently visited, and, and they more than anything, we're impressed by the buildings and saying, why, you know, why don't, why isn't there more of this kind of architecture that re reflects the local culture instead of Western-style buildings? And they are very interested in the buildings. And of course, we're telling them that they they don't come without all the the rest of the package too. But so the buildings themselves actually strongly contribute to we think of sustainability of this model. Um, and uh, I saw that somebody there did one, uh, cited one of these articles by Denise Augusta, the one about the universality of public library for youth, services for youth. In that particular article, she talks about, based on her research on how young people use libraries in this country, um, and, and found, has found that for reading or for information is only actually a relatively small percentage of how 
teenagers use libraries in the United States and that they come to them for what she has called a beneficent space. And that's very much you know, what our Labuto library spaces are as well. A child could come, they, maybe if, they just, if a young girl comes there because she, it's a place where she can feel safe and off the streets or talk to somebody who cares about her, that is a very important and valid and valuable use for our libraries. Um, Denise has also written about our libraries as a model of school library media services for disadvantaged youth in any environment. Um, and, and others, UK organizations have also recognized this. We just learned the other day that now for the third time also we have been nominated for the Astrid Lindgren Award, which is a, a literary award for uh, it, for children's literature, it's it's the biggest. It's kind of they refer to it as the Nobel Prize of children's literature. It, it's it's the Swedish Arts Council um, that gives it out, and it's a big monetary award, and 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 sort of judged by people in Sweden. And we've competed against people like uh, the first winner of it actually was Maurice Sendak, and Catherine Patterson has won it. Uh, I don't know what chances. We, we feel very honored to have been once again nominated for that award. And um, Anyway, so uh, just, just uh, a few final points then that Labuto libraries exist as partnerships. We don't, we're not in isolation. Either a host organization like the street shelter for street children that hosted our first library or, or a school host the organization and staff the organization. And we work completely in partnership with, the, with those, those communities on every level. Um, we, we exist also through public-private partnerships. As I mentioned, Dow Jones and Company provided the funding to build the second Labuto Library. And, um, and, and that was something greatly appreciated by, by people in Zambia. But also, Zambian corporations have since been more inspired themselves to try to, to support uh, Lubuto libraries. And so we're, we're looking more and more to local private sector partners. Uh, the one on the top on this slide is a, is a mining concern in the, in the Copper Belt. And Zambia Sugar, which is a, a big company in the southern province, both of them have made commitments to helping finance uh, construction of our libraries. The private sector tends to like to uh, finance buildings, and the public sector, the government and development agencies, are, are more interested and willing to, to fund the programs that happen, the kind of training that has to happen, the capacity development, and all of the human things that make the libraries work. So public-private partnerships, we think, are, are, are going to be part of our model for the <laughs> foreseeable future. Uh, partnering with the professional community is important. These are people involved with the, working with the Labuto Literacy Project. We had somebody who worked for the Curriculum Development Center for the Ministry of Education evaluate each of the projects and give feedback. Um, working with, with the professional education community has been essential. And, when they, and they guided how this how this literacy program should happen. And that's one thing that makes us feel very confident that that the right thing is happening. And partnering with government, and that's how we work with the government schools. So someone did ask the question, how do we identify these hosts? We work with the Ministry of Education, and they, they basically tell us 
what it is that they would like to have, where the library should be hosted. So our second library, uh, we were told specifically by, we wanted, to, we and the government wanted us to build it in the city of Lusaka because again that's where so many of these street children are um, and there, um, and the government wanted us to have it hosted by this government school. We were pretty apprehensive at first because because clearly the teachers at the school, when we went to talk to them about it, they were really worried about this idea uh, and went back to the ministry and they said, no, we want them to change. They will have to change their attitudes because we need to provide access to out-of-school children. So again, we, it, it's very important that, it, that this be directed by the, the stakeholders, the people who Whose, whose concern it is to, to educate the children of their country. We have a memorandum of understanding between the Labuto Library Project and the Ministry of Education that guides us and, and makes us sort of responsible, well, makes us literally responsible for providing library services to particularly vulnerable youth, but to children and youth in Zambia. So a very recent uh, development that has that has been where we've been aiming for a while, oh, I know I have to go fast, you know, don't I, um, is that we have partnered with the Zambia Library Service. And Mr. Boato, Robinson Boato, who's the second from the left here, is the new head of the Zambia Library Service. In addition to a library degree, he has a degree in policy and planning. And when we presented the Buto Library, the model to him and, and the deputy librarian who's next to him, um, he, he, they recognized very much that they had not, in their libraries, been serving children and youth properly and wanted to know if we could build our libraries along with their libraries, their, what they call their provincial libraries that are all around the country. And we, we absolutely were delighted to agree to that. We presented it to the Ministry of Education and the Ministry said it's the best idea they've ever heard. They will support it 100%. And the upside is we are now in the Zambia government budget and they have asked us to build, we're going to be building seven more libraries at these provinces around the country. I think I have a picture of that, yes. Um, this is the country of Zambia. Uh, in, the, in the center there where Lusaka is, we already have two libraries up and running. The other, the other six blue dots are the other, where the other libraries are in the various provinces. We had to come up with a plan for how to, how to go about the logistics of doing this in areas that were really spread far apart. You can't even travel between them in Zambia. And then there's a little purple dot between the Choma one in the southern province in Lusaka where we're going to build a seventh library that's with a community we've been working with for a long time. While we build that library along with the other Zambia Library Service Library in the southern province will also be training architects to be able to oversee this very specialized kind of construction. So we had, that was the one area where we also have to build capacity so that those architects could go and be posted in these other sites and, and actually oversee the construction of the libraries. Uh, to scale up and, and build the library collections, by the way, we, we um, we've, I believe the other thing is we've proven to this country the value of a real good, high-quality library collection and that it isn't something that should just be somebody's random donated books. And so there, there, there's funding under this plan to have collections supplied by Follett, the company that supplies uh, library books for, um, for young people, uh, for school libraries and public libraries. Uh, in this country, and we're, we're going to be working with them to, for the 
development of the collections. We've also been cataloging the collections, so we, we have to we have to do a map from the Dewey Decimal System to the Labuta Library classification so that they can provide cataloged collections. In, and and that, that, that was the one sort of remaining piece limiting our ability to scale up and, and that is and that is now in place. We're gonna we're working with Follett in the in the coming weeks actually to work out the details of that. So with all of these partnerships with the government, with the communities, with our colleagues, uh, we are all working together to create these libraries that are a bridge really, particularly to children who are out of school out of school, a bridge to reconnect them with society. And that's what Lobuto, I, I didn't say in the outset, the word Lobuto is a word in the Bemba language which means enlightenment and knowledge and light. And that's what we are doing. <laughs> Great. Uh, Jane, thank you. Uh, phenomenal presentation. Uh, I can't thank you enough. I, I mean, I've been following some of this work for a number of years, but uh, in fact, over the last hour, uh, I learned uh, a half a dozen new things about uh, everything that you're doing and the extent uh, to which uh, things are happening. So uh, we appreciate uh, the time you've taken to share this information with us. I want to thank uh, our participants who have joined uh, with us today. Thank my uh, co-colloquium. Uh, coordinator Lori Bell for being with us today and our um, technology expert Randy Chang for helping us get everything up and running and all set uh, to go and uh, thank everyone and uh, hope everybody has a good uh, rest of the day. <laughs>